Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. The fate of Julian Assange is unclear. Washington is determined that he be sent to the U.S. to face criminal charges, most likely under the 1917 Espionage Act. The British government is more than happy to make this happen. Even the Ecuadorians are in on the act. What we are watching unfold in front of our eyes is the criminalization of journalism. Cross-talking Julian Assange, I'm joined by my guest, Joe Loria in Washington. He's editor-in-chief of ConsortiumNews.com and author of How I Lost by Hillary Clinton with a forward by Julian Assange. Also in Washington, we have Gareth Porter. He's an independent investigative journalist and historian, as well as author of Manufactured Crisis, the untold story of the Iran nuclear scare. And in Plymouth, we cross to Patrick Henningsen. He is a journalist, writer, and founder of the news website, 21stCenturyWire.com. All right, gentlemen, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. I'd like to open up by thanking all three of you to come here to speak out on the behalf of the profession known as journalism. Um, it's, it's a pretty scarce profession, at least uh, um, uh, acted out and lived by professionals, so I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Gareth, let me go to you first, and let's talk about journalism, because Julian Assange, is, his, his case study, as it were, is a, a precedent in the making. And it really galls me that the profession cannot see the slippery slope that we're all staring down at. Once it happens to Julian Assange as a publisher, then who's next? Go ahead, Gareth. Well, I can't uh, agree uh, anymore with what you said. <laughs> it's, it's clear that uh, Assange is on the block here in a way that is extremely dangerous to the profession of journalism. Um, because it would, in fact, uh, as I think you just suggested, it would set a precedent for the U.S. government uh, to go after journalists under a wide range of circumstances, uh, as long as they can portray somebody as somehow connected with the enemy, whatever that enemy whatever might happen to be means. at that moment. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I, I think that that is indeed the issue that we're staring in the face here. Joe, you did a wonderful interview with Chris Hedges, and I commend everyone um, to um, to watch it because I think it was absolutely brilliant. Explain to us how the Espionage Act could play out vis-a-vis -vis Julian Assange, because considering the conditions that he's living in. Um, in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. It sounds like it's getting pretty desperate over there. They're obviously trying to flush him out without the Ecuadorian embassy, uh, government being embarrassed. Um, we go through the list of things that they've done to him, um, but it's obvious they want to give him the shove here. How's the Espionage Act of 1917 play into this? Go ahead, Joe. Oh, thank you, Peter. Yes, the Espionage Act does play a big role in this. And if, in fact, he's been indicted or has a criminal complaint, is very likely under the 1917 Espionage Act. However, if he were indicted under the original 1917 Espionage Act, it would not have had two amendments that were made to the act, one in 1950 and one in 1961. The one in 1950 criminalized possession of mm -hmm. stolen documents, classified documents. In other words, 
before that, uh, and it is still pretty much politically this, this case that if a publisher or a newspaper receives classified information and publishes it, they are not considered to be liable. Only the person who stole the document, the whistleblower, uh, who gave it to the publication. But under the 1950 uh, amendment, now anyone who possesses it could, in fact, be prosecuted. So even if uh, uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks did not actively take part in the crime of taking the documents, because they had them and, and disseminated them, they could be prosecuted. However, this has never happened, yeah, because there we politically go. it's really disastrous. Yeah, and, I mean, and because it's it's a political decision, not a legal one. Right. But the other the other amendment I want to mention is people keep bringing up he's not an American citizen, and this act of publishing took place outside U.S. territory. Well, the original 1917 Espionage Act specifically said this had to take place on U.S. territory. That was changed in 1961 when a congressman got upset by a State Department official in Poland, who apparently gave in to blackmail while he was outside the U.S. So that the act was changed, so you don't have to be on U.S. territory anymore as well. So if they want to go after him, they can, but it's never happened before. The Nixon administration did not go after Senator Mike Ravel when he published the Pentagon Papers outside the Congress right. where he's protected to say whatever he wants. And uh, it hasn't happened since John Peter Zenger in 1635 uh, in colonial America that a government, then a British colonial government, went after a publisher for writing something that turned out to be true, but they uh, didn't like it because it, un it uh, uncovered uh, exposed crimes by uh, the government. So he's in a very precarious situation because the Trump administration might be the first one to right. actually do this. Right. For even though politically it's never been the right decision, even though they have the legal tools, they've never been used. And I should add, the New York Times number two lawyer was out on the West Coast a few months ago and told judges in a speech that they did not want Assange prosecuted because the New York Times could be next because they do right. the same thing WikiLeaks does, publish classified information. You know, Patrick, that, see, that's the whole wrinkle here because they're going, to, they're going to say that Julian Assange was more than a publisher. And that's why I think the... A Mueller report is very germane here because they want to um, make people believe because because under the on the on the way they can do it, they could actually do all of this against him if they get their hands on him in secret, um, and we would never really know what evidence. All we would have to do is believe the judge and believe Mueller, which I wouldn't believe either, considering what's happening here. Weigh in, Patrick. Go ahead. Well, the scenario that you just laid out there, Peter, um, if that is indeed what will, what they're trying to, to do or what, they, what might happen, that would essentially uh, preserve the narrative. Uh, so, in other words, they could, go through, they could go through the, the, the charade of due process or whatever passes for due process today in today's political environment and then preserve the narrative, which essentially is Russia Gate uh, or Russian collusion, which uh, to date there has been no uh, actual evidence. Uh, to sort of substantiate that. And that's the premise of this whole uh, uh, circus, basically. What, what Robert Mueller and the special counsel have been uh, digging for and, and digging through dumpsters for for the last two years. Literally. Uh, <laughs> literally, and recently, too, um, is, is really a dumpster fire of, of fake news. Basically, so um, but but that's what the, that's the premise of the, this whole thing. Uh, so that you're absolutely correct. That's the one danger, uh, Peter. The other thing that that's very related to this is uh, the case of uh, Jerome Corsi, uh, which is in the news right now, uh, and they're trying to uh, you know maneuver or try to maneuver Corsi uh, into a position uh, where he would uh, in fact uh, you know libel himself essentially uh, in order to accept a, a plea bargain, which he's outright rejected. But the point is. And the point Corsi made uh, in an interview with MSNBC, which is an excellent example 
of, of, of a decent interview, although it was quite tough, uh, the, the interview from NBC. But even if Assange had stole the documents himself, and, you know, it, of course he still is protected as a journalist um, under the New York Times versus the United States case with the Pentagon Papers. So he, he has a right under basic press freedoms uh, to go and find out and he can even look at them and he can report on them. Um, you add to this the context of the 2016 election, and of course he made his political biases uh, known to the public. He said, I'm pro-Trump, and of course I'm interested in this and see if I can help the Trump campaign. Jerome Corsi's been more honest and transparent and put his biases on the table more than the Mueller investigation, which looks like a, a kangaroo court uh, to yeah. anybody who's honest. But. Um, yeah. Okay, Gareth, uh, weigh in on that because I mean, there are there's a, a long history of uh, uh, the espionage acts being used, um, but it wasn't really journalism, and even even the Pentagon Papers they never you know, invoked it there. This is the precedent that's being set here: is that a publisher can be made to um, face charges under espionage. Essentially, he's a, a traitor to his country. He's aiding and abetting. Uh, an enemy, whatever, though there, no enemy has been identified in this, uh, uh, in this case here. So, I mean, this is the criminalization of journalism, as, as I said in my introduction. Well, uh, you know, I think that's, that's absolutely right. Uh, I think what, what you're talking about here is uh, precisely uh, a response to the, uh, the Mueller uh, team's need for uh, the ability to squeeze uh, Julian Assange. I mean, that, that appears to be the real prize that is uh, that they see within their grasp or potential grasp. Um, I had thought originally that uh, that really this was about the CIA's embarrassment over the uh, yeah, Vault release 7. by yeah. WikiLeaks of the Vault Seven documents because they were so clearly uh, showing that the CIA not only has been rampaging through all of the electronic uh, media or electronic devices of everyone across the globe, but that they had the capability and undoubtedly used it at some point, or planning to use it, to, to make it look like a, another foreign intelligence uh, agency was responsible for the hacking. Yeah. Um, and, and clearly, uh, the timing of the uh, original uh, decision that was announced to uh, go after Assange came immediately after the, the release of, of the Vault 7 documents. So there did appear to be a connection there, but I am now more and more persuaded by the idea that, that there must have been, uh, there, there must be a primary connection here with the Mueller, uh, the Mueller folks. Um, although, well, I mean, you know, but at the same one, time, one has to wonder. One has to wonder, but then you can kill a lot of birds with one stone. This is like this is like the silver bullet. You get Russiagate taken care of. You cow the, the media. Uh, you get journalists in line. It's a, it's a it's a perfect storm if you're if you're the state here. Uh, Fifteen seconds, Joe, real quick, and then I'll go back to well, you after the break. Well, I think what we're talking about. Okay, finish up, Gareth. Go ahead, P Peter. I think what we're what we're what we're talking about is a convergence right. of. Two possible or likely uh, sets of, of uh, interests here that that both are, are after Assange for different reasons. Okay. All right. All right, gentlemen. I'm going to jump in here. We're going to go to a short break, and after that short break, we'll continue our discussion on Julian Assange. Stay with our team.
Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter LaBelle. To remind you, we're discussing Julian Assange. Let me go back to Joe in Washington. Again, you know, this Russiagate, Mueller report, and Julian Assange, I think it is all tightly connected, particularly the timing here, because I'm convinced with the public evidence that's available that Julian Assange did not get those uh, uh, Podesta emails from Russia. He got it from someone and probably on a memory stick, okay? The NSA, with all of its assets, could have figured out if that amount of information had been sent over the Internet. It was vast, okay? So they would have been able to pick that up. So, so they know where it probably came from. But it doesn't fit their narrative. Enter Julian Assange in a secret court and you tie all the, all the, you pull all the threads together, you tie it up into one little pretty bow that the Western media, the liberal media will sell is saying, gotcha. Joe, what's your reaction? Well, absolutely. In fact, it goes back to 2010 uh, with the Afghan war logs and the Iraq uh, collateral damage tape. That's when uh, Julian and his lawyers believed the indictment was first made. But now we do, it does bring itself very clearly into the Russiagate story. And Mueller and Luke Harding, a journalist, a so-called journalist at The Guardian, yeah, that, uh, Joe, and the British government. A journalist masquerading and, as, a, as a clown. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the real change here also is the Ecuadorian government changed. Uh, the, the, pre, the previous government, left wing under Correa, gave him, uh, uh, Assange asylum and was protecting him. And this, his status would not have changed. But the new government is very close to the U.S. and has been pressured by Pence, uh, Vice President Pence and others. And they want to get him out. So these three, con picking up on what Garrett was saying about confluence of interest, there's the interest of the Ecuadorian government to get him out, of the British and the U.S. to get him, and of Luke Harding to get his uh, reputation restored because he's a bestseller called collusion. <laughs> there is no evidence of collusion. He has to go find some. So the Ecuadorian intelligence and the U.S. knowing that the guy is going to be uh, very open to anything, fed him this absolutely fairy tale that Paul Manafort went in and, and met with uh, Julian Assange <laughs> three times, the last times more or less when he became the head of uh, Trump's campaign. They, they need to connect the Trump campaign to Assange and WikiLeaks, and therefore they say to the Russians, they haven't been able to do this, so this is an opportunity given to uh, Harding, who grabbed it and ran with it, without any video evidence of Manafort going in and out, without his passport having been given or logging in at the embassy. There's zero evidence he went there. They both furiously deny it, both Manafort and WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks is suing The Guardian for this story. So it, it, Russiagate has brought this absolutely to a head. Ecuador wants him out. The Americans want him. And they, they need, and Mueller needs a collusion evidence, because yep. every indictment he has put out has specifically said when they announced it, there's no Americans and no Trump campaign people involved. There's no collusion yet. They haven't found it, so they cooked up this story about Manafort, which is, I don't think it's going to go very far, frankly, Peter, because it is so ludicrous. Well, Patrick, let me go to you. I mean, uh, um, Luke Harding has never really bothered much with facts. He does a different type of thing. I think you know what I mean. Um, Patrick, one of the things that's really sad here is that if you look at the, the uh, fascinating um, career of WikiLeaks, and they've been right just every single time, um, they have a wonderful track record, no news agency can match that. 
But through the career of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, she's made a lot of enemies. During um, the Bush years, the Democrats loved how George W. Bush was uh, criticized with all the document releases. But then when Podesta came around, it switched. Now both parties and the deep state and feckless people who call themselves journalists uh, don't want to stick, pull their head out of the ground. I could use other language, but this is TV. You know, this is a, a, a perfect storm against Julian Assange, isn't it? Yeah, it is. If, if truth, if truth was, was the gold standard by which uh, professional journalism was measured, uh, then WikiLeaks and Julian Assange would be heralded, heralded right now instead of hounded. Yeah. Uh, Julian Assange could walk right out the door uh, within weeks, and he would have had everybody rallying on his side. But there's been a major political alignment or realignment, as it were. And I think this began under the Obama administration. Uh, this has to do with a lot of things, including the, the, the division or split of, this, of the anti-war left or the remnants of it uh, post-Bush, uh, but also the fact that Russia, uh, that, that's the, the raison d'etre of Washington right now in terms of geopolitics. And so that, that split is pronounced. But the other thing is, uh, the, the, with The Guardian, to, to, to knowingly, they had a heads up the day before uh, when, the, when the story was published online. And you'd think that they, were, they still ran with it on the morning print edition, the following morning, I went to the newsstand and there it was, this <laughs> completely fabricated story. And they had like at least, I don't know how much time to stop the press from the day before, but they ran with it anyway. This tells me that there's this deep-seated corruption uh, within mainstream media outlets. And I think it's becoming more than an open secret now that uh, there is a sort of a level of penetration by uh, the intelligence services in the West, uh, whether that's through influence or through yeah. actually imbe embedded uh, people in editorial desks or whatever. But we have to thank Luke Harding and Danny Collins <laughs> for helping to expose this. We owe them a great debt of gratitude this week uh, because it's shown exactly what these mainstream media outlets um, are doing in a coordinated fashion. And I'll, I'm going to add the anonymous document dump of the Integrity Initiative, uh, which is a yep. UK and National Endowment for Democracy funded initiative working with mainstream journalists to coordinate anti-Russian talking points at the hub is the Atlantic Council and the DFR labs. So that was exposed this week as well. So all of these exposures really point to a damning indictment that the fourth estate has become a fifth column yeah. at working against the interests, the public interests. This is devastating uh, in terms of the general narrative of the state of the media or, the, yeah. or the, what, what's left of the free press in the West. People should really to take a step back and look at this. This is an absolute circus, yeah. what's playing out in front of this. And, and I'm waiting for people of, of honest character to step forward, people who oh, I don't care who they're, they work they're, for. They're on, they're on this program, okay? There aren't, well, there we, aren't very many more, but some of them are here, okay? <laughs> we, we, need, we need more of them. And, and let me quickly just add, The Guardian then followed this up with a story by John Swain from their New York bureau, and they used a source as Glenn Simpson. <laughs> from Fusion GPS, and they didn't even mention that he works for uh, Fusion. They just said an expert on the matter, Glenn Simpson. So my question is, is, is uh, Fusion GPS using The Guardian as a, as a dumping ground for all their leftovers now? Like, this is just out of control. It's, ama it's amazing. You know, one, Gareth, one, one of the things that's it, it's, it's fascinating to me, uh, watching um, uh, the, the uh, Julian Assange slash WikiLeaks story and, and Russiagate, is that there is almost 
absolutely no downside in being wrong. You know, as, as, if you look at the Podesta emails, we learned a lot. That's what makes them so angry, that you learned a lot about Hillary Clinton and her campaign. And we also learned, for us on this program, is that New York Times journalists would send their copy to the DNC to be proofread, to be fact-checked, to be approved before it would be published. Now, if that isn't the sad state of affairs for journalism, I don't know what is, okay? You ask the powers that be, that you genuflect to the powers that be to get permission to, to print propaganda? This is pathetic. Go ahead, Garrett. That's the state of journalism now. Yeah, I, you know, I think the point is here that you can, you can get away with almost anything uh, as long as it is in line with the, the, the official, uh, the, the accepted narrative. And uh, that, that seems to be what we're seeing uh, play out here. But I have to say that there are limits of some sort in that, um, uh, you know, you can publish something that is so obviously uh, off, uh, off the charts and that, that is not believable, that it causes problems. And I think Luke Harding has strayed into that territory. Not the first and, time. And uh, not one the of first the pieces time. of evidence that I would offer for that. <laughs> not the first uh, time. Right. I, I would just point out that Politico this morning had a piece by a former CIA operative who uh, suggests that uh, Luke Harding was was uh, taken for a ride by somebody who is on the other side of the issue, <laughs> trying to discredit him, which is a rather interesting well, uh, development in this story. Okay, well let me go, let me go to Joe. I mean, I, I met Luke Harding a, a couple of times here in Moscow, and he was really the laughing stock of the entire foreign press corps here. So um, uh, not the first time for this guy. You know, he's uh, he has a real track record there. Uh, maybe when you meet him, ask him about uh, his plagiarism of a, of a satirical um, magazine called The Exile. Uh, ask Mark Ames. He was the editor of it there. Joe, what's, you know, again, you know, our, our numbers are thinning. The people that want to do real journalism here. Um, I'm very pessimistic. I don't see it turning around because you have a fusion of the media into the state. And everybody's happy. Everyone's rich. You don't have to think very much. Stupid people can be on TV a lot. I mean, everybody wins on their side. It's all about status, careerism, vanity, fame, money, and, they, and the sucking up to people in power. You know, journalism has a power even greater than the power of government because our power, if it's exercised, is to keep those in power in check. Instead, we see journalists, it's been going on for a while now, they're sucking up and living vicariously through the power of government officials and just taking whatever they say and not challenging it. And this is what Harding's problem was in this particular case. He was sold a bill of goods, yes, but I think not because, as Gareth pointed out from that CIA piece, to try to discredit him uh, uh, by the people who were supporting Assange, but in fact, they wanted to pass this uh, story that Manafort went in there to try to establish the collusion. He took that information and never said, well, that's interesting, but show me the video of Manafort yeah. going in. The, the embassy in London, the Ecuadorian embassy, is ringed with CCTV cameras. The entire city of London is. And where is Manafort going in and out? Where okay. is the law? Right, hang on so here. he never challenged it. And this let, is the problem. Journalists me, me, don't challenge. Let me go to Patrick. Last, last 30 seconds. Compare uh, Jim Acosta and Julian Assange. 30 seconds. Big task. Go ahead. 
Uh, that's a difficult one, Peter, um, in one sense. I don't know. Look, the point is, and what, what I pointed out earlier uh, last couple weeks ago, is that, you know, the, the media, the press spent uh, days crying over Jim Acosta, uh, when, in fact, the most important person uh, in the field of journalism uh, who is under threat is Julian Assange in the, in the basement of the Ecuadorian embassy, because he represents a pillar of uh, Western post-enlightenment democratic society, which is a, the, the right to publish, to publish and be damned, to have that right okay. uh, is, is, is essential. Wait, wait, and we that's what we finish on that very excellent point. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have, gentlemen. Many thanks to my guests in Washington and in Plymouth. And thanks to our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. And remember, crosstalk rules.